Hey ladies, welcome to the Looking Above podcast. It's easy to get bogged down in details of everyday life. If we aren't intentional, our eyes can easily be pulled away from the Lord and we can set our gaze on things of earth. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. My name is Karen Boffman and I'm the women's pastor at New Life Church in Gillette, Wyoming. I believe that our perspective changes everything. So together, we'll be looking above. Hey there, and welcome back to Looking Above. It's so good to have you here with me today. And I'm just going to start out by being honest. I am tired today, and I am feeling weary today. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, to quote uh, the book and movie about Alexander. I'll tell you a quick story real quick about that movie. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I had COVID and was kind of quarantining in my bedroom, trying to stay away from the family as much as possible, hoping that they would not get it. And the rest of them were downstairs, and uh, the girls talked Daniel into watching Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And so they were down there watching, and all of a sudden, Daniel comes blasting into the bedroom where I was laying and he's just sobbing says this movie is terrible mom this movie is terrible I don't know why they wanted me to watch it this is not appropriate for children now I could be wrong but I'm pretty sure it's on the Disney plus and I'm pretty sure it's probably only PG but he was very upset about this movie because um in this movie this uh family just goes through what is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And at one point in the movie, they're in a car accident, minor car accident. The car is damaged. No one is hurt. But this is what had Daniel all worked up. I don't want to see car accidents. That's terrible. And now I'm going to think about it. (laughs) So anyway, Paul got him calmed down and said, come on back down. It's about to be to the funny part where uh, the Peter Pan scene. So he takes him back down to watch the movie. And two minutes later, he's back in my room. That's horrible, mom. She was crashing into walls. (laughs) He's all upset about uh, this terrible day that they were having on this movie. And he didn't like watching it. And none of us like terrible days, do we? If we're honest, we're right there with Daniel. We don't want to watch it, and we don't want to live through it. There are some days that are just rotten, and we feel like we're under assault from every side. Little things, big things, silly things, inconsequential things, but there are just days that feel so hard and so oppressive. And I want to talk about those days today because it's so important that we have friendships on our good days, that we cultivate friendship on the good days so that when we run into those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days or weeks or seasons, we have friends, right? None of us anticipate those hard times. None of us 
you know, we just walk around like, oh, I can't wait. When's the next terrible day going to be? Or when am I going to go through another horrible season? We don't want that. That's not um, what we aspire to, right? Most of us aspire to peace and joy and good and pleasant days. But we know that they're going to come. And so one of the ways that we can prepare ourselves for those terrible, horrible days is to cultivate friendship on the mundane days and on the good days to work on friendship when things aren't terrible so that when the things are terrible, we have somewhere to turn and we have someone to lean on and someone to walk with us, someone to sometimes drag us through those valleys, those bad days. And um, none of us likes the bad days, and none of us wants to be alone on the bad days. Because the bad days are just a little bit better when we have someone to walk with us. And we talked just a little bit about this a few weeks ago with Sarah when we talked about how we love our friends well. But I want to dig into this just a little bit more today. For those of you who um, attended the Valley Girls retreat that we did here at New Life a few years ago, some of this is going to sound extremely familiar to you because I'm digging out some of this old teaching and some of my notes from then because I think it's so valuable and we need to talk about this. We go through what we consider valleys, those hard, dark times in our lives, but we aren't called to travel in the valley alone. So I'm going to propose that either right now you are in a valley, you are in a tough situation, a spot where things are dark and gloomy and you're weary and tired of traveling there and you need valley girls to be walking with you or you have been through valleys in the past and you need to be a valley girl who walks with someone else. The Bible doesn't teach us to live alone. The Bible doesn't say to do life on our own. It talks a lot about community and a lot about relationship and a lot about how we love one another and care for one another. And we see this even in Jesus's life, right? He's the one person, the one person who ever walked on this earth who was perfect, who could have done life alone and not needed anyone else. And yet Jesus lived life in relationship. He had these 12 guys that he did life with regularly. And there were dozens of others who were disciples who were with them a lot and following him a lot. He did life in relationship. And, you know, on that night when he was facing the cross, when he was about to go to the cross, what did he do? But he called out to his friends and he sought their support and their prayer and the comfort of being with them. Now, as women, we are fairly likely to reach out to someone that we see going through a valley, right? Can I bring you a meal? Do you want to talk? Maybe it's just a text that we send them. We are more likely to reach out to someone in the valley than we are to reach out from the valley. When we are struggling, we often put on a happy face, right? We come to church, we act like everything's all hunky-dory, everything's great, everything's fine, and we mask the pain that we carry. 
And I've been there. I've been in that place where I was miserable and I just wanted to sob my way through a Sunday morning. And I plastered on that fake grin and I told people, I'm good. How are you? Because that's what we think people want to hear. And that's what society says we should say. And I've gotten away from that. And some of you have noticed this in past weeks and past months here. I've started to become brutally honest when people ask me how I'm doing. And I will maybe sometimes preface it by saying, do you want truth or do you want the church answer? <laughs> and um, and then I'm sharing with people. This is how I really am. I'm really tired or I'm really stressed or this week was kind of hard because to be honest, I love my job, but being a pastor is hard. And so instead of acting like I'm always fine and I need nothing from anyone, which isn't true, I've decided that I need to be vulnerable and I need to tell people how I am because the only way that they're going to care for me and love me and pray for me and support me is if I tell them that I need them. So why is it that we face valleys on our own? Why do we go through them on our own when that is not God's intent? I believe the reason is because we've been lied to. The world, which often is based in what Satan, our enemy, um, speaks, is telling us lies, right? The world tells us, don't be a burden. And I'll be quite frank, maybe it was your parents who taught you that. Maybe it was friends who've said that to you. Maybe it's your husband. Don't be a burden. Don't let them see you cry. If you have to rely on someone else, you're weak. You can do it yourself, right? These are the messages that we hear in the world. But plain and simple, when we boil all of that down, I think at the root of all of it is pride. Either we feel like we are too good or too strong to need help, or we feel like we don't want to bring someone else down, right? I'll just keep it to myself because I don't want to burden them. Either way, we're trying to be God. We're deciding what's best for ourselves and for others. But the New Testament is full of what we would call one another verses, these commands that tell us how we are to treat one another in the body of Christ. And their commands like love one another and pray for one another. So the world might say to us, don't be a burden. But scripture in Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens, right? God is telling us we are supposed to walk with each other and bear, like come up under, put our shoulder under that burden with them and help them carry it. The world tells us you can do it yourself, but God tells us in Galatians 5.13 to serve one another. So when we do it ourselves, we're keeping someone else from serving us. The world says, keep it to yourself, right? Hold it in. Don't tell anyone else about your struggle. But God tells us in James 5.16 that we're to pray for one another. So how can someone pray for you if you keep it to yourself, if they don't know how to pray, they don't know what you're struggling with? The world tells us, don't bring others down. You know, put on that happy face. You don't want to be the one who makes somebody else feel sad. But the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that we're to encourage one another. Encourage literally means to bolster someone up, up to give them courage, right? Right? 
I can't encourage you if I don't know that you're struggling. So if you are fake with me, I can't encourage you because I don't know where you're weak. The world tells us no one cares about you. But God says, love one another in Romans 12.10. And in John 13.14, he says, wash each other's feet. He tells us to care for each other, to love each other, to do these things. So here's the deal. When we keep silent, when we push through and fake it till we make it and try to do the valley alone, we're sinning. We're acting in pride and we're keeping the body of Christ from living the way that they're supposed to live. If God has commanded us to bear one another's burdens, to serve each other, to pray for each other, to encourage each other, to love one another, if that's what he's commanded us to do and we don't share our burdens with one another, no one can do that. We can't fulfill the commands that have been given to us. I'm going to venture off here and just give you a few examples from my own life. Um, There have been times when I have cared for friends after surgery. I have literally helped my friends get on and off of a toilet following a surgery because they couldn't do it themselves. That's called being the body of Christ. That's what I'm called to do. But if my friend didn't tell me she was having surgery, if she didn't tell me she was struggling, if she didn't tell me she needed help, I would not have been able to care for her in that moment. Several years ago, my friend's young, very young daughter, she was probably a toddler, an infant at the time, started having some gastrointestinal issues. And I was able to walk with her through that valley. I was able to go with her to doctor's appointments and surgeries and tests and all of these things as we saw a diagnosis. And this poor little tiny, probably almost two-year-old child needed to have enemas in in order to evacuate her bowels. And I would hold this teeny little girl down in the tub while her mother inserted this enema and did this. That's what being the body of Christ looks like. It looks like being a friend who shows up and walks through that valley with you so that you're not having to hold your child down and put an enema in her tiny hiney by yourself. We need friends who go in the valley with us. We need it. And that's what we're called to do. And I guarantee that my sister, my friend, who I walked through that valley with, traveled that valley so much better because I walked with her. I've sat on couches with friends whose marriages were crumbling and cried with them. I've gone to doctor's visits, but it's gone the other way too. I've had friends who've gone to doctor's visits with me. I've had friends who have taken care of my children for days on end and brought me food following my own surgeries. I told you when I was uh, talking with Sarah a few weeks ago, you know, that I was on bed rest for 11 weeks when I was pregnant with Daniel. And that season came in a season when we were moving from one church to another and when my house needed to be packed up and I couldn't be up and doing it for myself. And I had friends who came in and literally packed every item in my home and they did it 
carefully and they did it in the way that I wanted it to be done so that when I unpacked it on the other end, it was organized in a way that made sense to me. I've had friends who've you know, brought me a cup of coffee and just listened to me on a hard day. When Andrew was an infant, one month old, he almost died. And I can remember that night um, as we're sitting in our house waiting for the ambulance to show up um, and just so fearful. I'm a month postpartum with my first baby and he's the life is just escaping him right in front of me. And we called two different families from our church, families that had become friends of ours. And I'm not kidding you, within minutes, both of those families were on my doorstep. In fact, I think one of them even beat the ambulance to my house. And they stayed with us while we waited for the ambulance and they prayed with us. And um, I was just so traumatized um, by what had happened in the moments prior to the ambulance getting there that I was terrified that my baby might die on the way to the um, hospital. And I remember one of my friends said, um, I'll drive you because I said, I, I just don't think I can be in the ambulance. I'm afraid he's going to die and I can't do it. And she said, I'll drive you. And we lived an hour from the nearest hospital or from the good hospital that we needed to go to. And she showed up at my house in the middle of the evening, late at night. It was dark out. And she put me in the car with her and we followed the ambulance to the hospital. She dropped me off and she came home. And I just remember the overwhelming feeling of these people are with us. They are with us and they love us and they care about us. And here they are showing up in this moment of need. She left her family, drove me an hour to the hospital, had to drive herself an hour back. And then in that 10 days while we were in the hospital, these families came into our home. They cleaned my house. They washed all of our laundry. They um, brought us food. They got everything ready so that when we came home, our home was peaceful and um, there were no signs of anything that had happened before. That's what Valley Girls do. That's what friends do. Good, godly friends do. They walk with each other. They remind each other that we aren't alone. They bear each other's burdens. They love. They pray. They serve. And they do all of these things because that's what God has called us to do. But let me tell you something else that is true. Satan wants you to be in the valley alone. And he's going to try and convince you that you're better alone, that you don't need someone else, that no one cares, that no one's going to show up if you share. But Satan is a liar and he never has your best interest in mind. We need sisters who are going to walk through the valley with us and fight on our behalf and stand up and speak life to us. So I'm going to talk for the next few minutes here about what it looks like to be what I call a valley girl, what it looks like to be a friend who shows up when someone else is struggling. And I want you to learn these things so that you can apply them and be that friend for someone else. But it also applies the other way, that when we're looking for a 
friend who we can call a valley girl. These are the qualities that we're looking for in her as well. And a lot of what I'm going to talk about here comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 11. I'm going to refer to some of these verses here and there as we go through this. But you can read it on your own and, and see also what life looks like when we're living it well together. So the first thing I would say about a valley girl is that you need to, as a valley girl, you need to pursue your friend. You need to pursue the one who is hurting. In Psalm 23, it says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. We follow God's example. That word pursue there, the Hebrew word, means to chase after. God's goodness chases after us. And that's what we need to do as valley girls we chase after our hurting sisters and we allow our goodness and unfailing love and the goodness and unfailing love of god to pursue them we keep reaching out we said this a few weeks ago even if she resists we let her know that we aren't leaving we're in it for the long haul and this may sometimes feel exhausting but god is where our strength comes from and he helps us to persist So we're called the body of Christ for a reason, and we live out God's love in this world. We are chasers. We are the pursuers. We are the ones who don't let our sisters do the valley alone. So if you have someone who is your sister in Christ and you guys have this friendship that you've already built, and then she goes through this hard time, you chase after her, you pursue her. You also practice presence. So sometimes the most powerful display of our love or of being a valley girl is just being with someone. We show up. In verse 7 in this chapter I was telling you about, it says we are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. So here we go. Paul had this group of people, the Corinthian church, who was supporting him. They were following his story. They were caring about him. They were enduring the same things. We don't do the valley alone. So when we're in the valley, we need people who will come along and be there with us. They practice presence. You can just imagine, you know, in the Old Testament, the story of Aaron, and he's holding his staff up. And when he holds it up, the Israelites are winning. And when his arms start to drop, the Israelites start losing. He needed support. He needed someone to be there with him. And so what do we see is Aaron and her come alongside of him, and they support his arms and help him keep his staff raised, right? Sometimes we just need to be there. We listen, we sit, and we hold up our tired armed friends. Third thing we do is provide comfort. So in this passage in 2 Corinthians, it says that he comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others. That was in verse four. If we have the right attitude and we are open to God in our valleys, he will teach us, he'll comfort us, he'll strengthen us, he'll grow us so that on the other side, when we come out victorious from our valleys, we can teach and comfort and support others. In verse six, it says, even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort 
and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. So one way that we walk through valleys is to have this attitude that we understand that on the other side of this, I'm going to be better able to encourage and comfort someone else because I'm going through this valley. And then we pass along that comfort so that someone else is able to endure their valley. So a simple example of this is a new mom who is sleep deprived and hormonal and feeling alone. And then a slightly older or more experienced mom who's walked through that valley and survived it is able to come and give her hope and comfort. Remind her, you aren't alone. There are other moms right now who are going through this, and there are a lot of us who've gone through it before you, and we've all survived, and you're going to survive too. And guess what? In a few short weeks, you're going to find your new rhythm, and you're going to feel like yourself again. Your hormones are going to level out, and you're going to be okay. That's a simple example. But there are much bigger, bigger things that many of us have gone through. And God helped us through those valleys, and he comforted us, and he taught us there. And because of that, we are able to provide comfort for someone else. Another thing Valley Girls do is they pour out love. And we talked about this with Sarah a few weeks ago, how we love our friends well. But that's what we do. Sometimes we lay aside our desires and we just love on someone else. Another thing Valley Girls do is proclaim hope. In verse 10, it says, And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us Again, we have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. He did rescue us and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence, literally our expectant hope in him, and he will continue to rescue us. So if you are a valley girl, it's your job to remind your sister, your friend, of the victories that God has already won and point her towards the hope of the victory that he's going to win in her life because hope is the most powerful fuel to keep us moving through that valley. So we remind them that right now you might only see clouds, but guess what? The sun is still shining. And even though you don't feel it and you don't see it right now, God is still good. And he didn't lead you into this valley to let you die there. In fact, he's calling to you and he's comforting you and he's with you right now. The sixth thing that we do as Valley Girls is to push or sometimes pull our friend through that valley, right? There are times when as a Valley Girl, we have to be a little bit like Dr. Phil. When God prompts us and we feel like he's saying that's okay to do that, we might need to give our friend a kick in the panties. So this might require pushing her or pulling her because we need to remind each other that the valley is not where we die. It is not where we lay down and wait for vultures. We walk through the valley. You know, we talk again about the 23rd Psalm and it says, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I walk through. And we remind our sisters, you don't lay down here. You don't sit down here. You keep walking. And sometimes our sisters need that. They need to be reminded. 
we need to keep moving. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to struggle, but we don't sit down here and get stuck here. We keep moving. I remember um, I had had a broken engagement soon after graduating college. And the Sunday after my engagement broke, I went to church and there was a lady sitting behind me who had recently become widowed. I say recently, like maybe six months prior. And I remember her saying to me, I don't even know how we got on the topic and she found out that I had just had this broken engagement, but she said to me, I don't even know how you're here today. Most days I don't get out of bed. She needed a valley girl, a friend who was going to say to her, sister, life stinks and you have gone through a tremendous loss, but this loss does not define you. You are still alive and you need to keep living. And again, in these moments, we have to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we have to be so sensitive to our friends. But sometimes as a godly sister, we have to tell our friend, it's time to get up and walk. And as we do that, number seven, we point her to Jesus. Verse nine in 2 Corinthians 1 says, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. In all of this, the last thing we want is for our friend to rely only on us. We aren't God. We can't be everything for anyone. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to her. It's not healthy for either of you. You are not her savior. Walking alongside of someone does not mean that you need to be their Jesus and do everything. So ultimately, it's so important as a valley girl that you are pointing your sister so that she relies not on you, but on God. Keep pointing her back to God. Just like that verse said, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God. And that's what your sister needs to do when she's in her valley as well. And the eighth thing we do as valley girls is to pray. Verse 11 says, and you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. You're helping us by what? By praying for us. The number one thing that you can do as a valley girl is to pray. The Greek word that was used in this passage, deasis, is this heartfelt petition that arises from a deep personal need. When we are loving our sisters, we feel their needs, right? And we realize that this is a personal and an urgent request. And then we go to battle on our sister's behalf. Battles are fought and they are won in the valley. And oftentimes your sister's battle will be fought and won by your prayers on her behalf. So never say the least you can do for me is pray. The most we can do for someone is pray. The most you can do for her is pray for her. Pray diligently, pray fervently, pray expectantly, trusting that God is going to help her through this valley. 
All right, that's a bit of a glimpse as to what it looks like to be a valley girl. We all need them. And quite frankly, most of us aren't going to have one person who is our valley girl. We need several of them, right? Like we've talked before, we're all different. We bring different things to the table. Some of us are more of the cheerleader type. Some of us are more of the prayer warrior types. Like we're we're all different. And so you may need several people who are going to surround you and support you, be your village when you go through a valley. But it's so important that we're cultivating friendships now. And I know some of you are in that valley now. Cultivate the friendship anyway. Cultivate relationships now. Work on friendships now. Be vulnerable now so that when you are in that valley, you have a team who's going to just rush in and support you and carry you through. Most importantly, they're going to remind you to keep looking above. Keep looking above the valley. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep trusting him and expecting him to show up in that valley with you. All right. I encourage you now, talk to your groups, talk to your friends, get into some discussion about what this can look like when you've seen it done well, how you wish maybe that people had showed up for you before. It's okay to be honest with each other. And I get it. Maybe the group that you're meeting with right now, maybe these aren't going to be your valley girls. But in this discussion, you have the opportunity to really dig into what am I looking for in a friend who will be with me even on my hardest, darkest days. All right, ladies, you are loved and you are prayed for. Thanks so much for being here. And again, if this has blessed you in any way and you think of a friend who might be blessed by something that was said today, feel free to share this podcast with them. I appreciate it. Thank you.